What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Special day, Aram. Two, 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 two. It's February twenty second, twenty twenty two. Probably the biggest day for email chains at work, letting everybody else know at your place of work that it's two, 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 two. But what are we doing on this special occasion? We're talking Kansas City Royals. We're playing GM. But first, Aram, what's up, dude? How's your two, 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 two? <laughs> I didn't even know that. I, that that's something I would expect Jack to bring to the table. Like the oh, it's it's a weird day or a weird date thing. Uh, I didn't even realize that. That's pretty cool. I, they always yeah, say like, Jack, oh, it'll... I thought it'd come in with just some weird ass shit. Yeah. Like instead of just yelling the word cock for a wordle, <laughs> just comes in so aggressive. Love it though. Was there a good? Was that the wordle today? No, the wordle was other. Other? Or something like that. It was, it was something at least regular, not the New York Times just throwing random shit at you and being like, solve it in five guesses or you're stupid. Do I have to download that? Do I need to do that? It's like, I see no, it's everybody... not a download thing. Well, it's not a download it? thing. You just look up Wordle and it says Wordle New York Times and it's just this free thing. You go in and you try and guess and if you guess it right, you post it on Twitter and if you don't, you just pretend you didn't do it that day. Yeah, I didn't do it today. I was too busy. <laughs> yeah, I was too busy. I it's so do. funny, dude. Like New York Times, I heard about Wordle for like a week and then a week later, I just see New York Times purchased. I was like, of course. Oh, ruined. <laughs> ruined. Uh, but yeah, ruined. I, I see the Wordle stuff and uh, I'll get in on that a little bit. I feel like I have to. It's a good challenge. Uh, but another challenge is going to be figuring out what the hell the Royals are doing. And uh, what's next? What a spin zone, because we are playing general manager today with these Kansas City Royals. And it's a tough team. Mm -hmm. It's a tough team. 2021, and I'm going to give them their 60-second rundown, but it was a tough team in 2021. But if we're talking farm system, if we're talking youth coming up, I think we just have to figure out when is the championship window. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it on a couple of previous episodes, but I'm excited to get into this team fully for the next hour. So let's talk Kansas City Royals. So the Kansas City Royals opened up the 2021 season with a 73 and a half win projection. Vegas had them nabbed pretty well, finishing the year 74 and 88, good for fourth place in the AL Central. This was seen as a rebuilding year. Mike Miner led the team in innings at 34 years old. The rest of the staff 26 years old or younger, highlighted by Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, Daniel Lynch, and Carlos Hernandez. 
So this was kind of a feel-out season, and this group of youngsters finished 24th in ERA and 20th in FIP, but we can definitely see the potential here. And the offense, to be honest, wasn't very good. They finished 24th in run scored and 25th in WRC+. But it wasn't all bad. They finished 9th in batting average. Salvador Perez hit almost 50 home runs. Nicky Lopez came out of nowhere to hit 300. And Andrew Penitenti proved that he could be the answer in left field moving forward. The bullpen was highlighted by one of the strongest back-end duos in baseball in Scott Barlow and Josh DeMont. And the team made its money last year on defense, finishing 7th and outs above average behind Nicky Lopez, who was the best defender of 2021, according to that stat. The future is so bright arm for the Royals, but when does the championship window open? That's what we have to talk about. So I don't have the handy-dandy iPad that Jackie usually does have, <laughs> but I do have the full depth chart. So we're going to go and we're going to start the catcher position because, all right, they got Salvador Perez. That's pretty set in stone, but they have some prospects. So, and then we're going to go and then we're going to talk about pitching. Then we're going to do free agents, trades. You guys know the whole nine yards. But opening statement for the Kansas City Royals moving forward. How are we feeling about them? I think the like fans should feel good, right? I think everybody should feel good about the Kansas City Royals moving forward just because they have so many different pieces that could pan out. I will say that it is a little bit frustrating. Uh, a lot of these pitchers that I know you and I were very excited about. I remember you know, when we were talking about the 2021 season, when we were getting ready to launch everything, and we were talking about teams we were looking forward to watching. The Royals were one of them for both of us. And, uh, you know, they they still showed some good things. It wasn't one of those teams where it's like, if it's the only game on, you're like, damn it. Like, there's plenty to watch with the Royals. But the, a lot of those young pitchers just didn't quite take that step that we were hoping to see. Uh, and I think it's going to be a really big year for the Royals to figure that out. But, I mean, when you have the young talent, as you mentioned, and the vets that, you know, can play a little bit, and some younger guys that are in the their mid-20s that are seeming to like put it together, like Ben Attendee and uh, some of the other guys like Nicky Lopez taking that step. There's a lot to like here. There's a lot to like, but as you mentioned, what is the you know, what is the timeline and what kind of moves can they make that help them get better in the short term without compromising still the bigger picture? And that's kind of what we're gonna try to juggle here. Absolutely. And we were we were really excited about this team last year because you and I, we had a bet between our between each other who was going to win more games, the Kansas City Royals or the Miami Marlins. And that was based on the fact that we saw two budding young teams who, if everything went right, they could shock some people. It didn't really end up working out for either team in 2021, but we might have just been a bit early. The Marlins, they have a loaded pitching staff full of young guns and some young developing hitters. The Royals have young guns all over the field. I wouldn't say that they're so pitching heavy like the Marlins, but they have top prospects littered throughout their entire team. So before we get into it, Bobby Witt Jr., Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, we're going to talk a ton about. Give me one name that maybe even Royals fans aren't that keen on yet, or someone maybe in the 18-year-old, someone who's coming up beyond the typical best prospects in their system. Yeah, so I think Royals fans, at least the, the diehards, are probably pretty familiar with Vinny Pascantino, but that guy rakes. I'm really interested to see how he fits in. I'm honestly going to package him in a trade deal later just because he was so good last year. And you look at Nick Prado at first base. I don't think Pascantino can play anywhere other than first. But, oh, my gosh, did that guy hit really well last year and could be 
a, a really good big league bat for them long term. But someone I'm really excited to see more of is Jonathan Bolin, uh, who missed pretty much all of last year. Will probably miss the beginning of this year due to Tommy John surgery, but has been really good throughout his minor league career. 6'6", 240, staying power in the rotation. Could be a nice little pleasant surprise in addition uh, to the big league club at some point next year once he makes that full return from Tommy John. There's, there's just so many arms. Alec Marsh, one other two that I'm really excited to see if he can put it all together. I'm excited to see if they can all put it together too because not only do they have pitchers already you know, down deep in the minor leagues, but they have guys who are just on the cusp and then they already, again, have 24, 25, 26-year-olds who are just starting to make their break. And I think all Royals fans are just waiting to see how is it going to stack up at the end of the year. So let's start at the catcher position first because right now, Salvador Perez his job to lose he hit 48 freaking yeah. home runs yeah. last year yeah you're gonna talk about the framing it wasn't good we all know it's been said before you're not new for coming to the table with your framing metrics on salvador Perez. but how about everything else was yeah. phenomenal the best offensive season by a mile 120 plus rbi still hit you 270 280 batting average i mean arm salvador Perez has had a phenomenal career and people are so quick to judge the guy who it's clear that playing 161 games he missed one game all year he is behind the plate every day for these young starting pitchers don't you think the framing metrics might get a little skewed when you got to deal with guys who walk three to four guys per nine and all of them do yeah well that's one side of it right and and i think that's a great point and also how about the fact that he like you said caught a bajillion games i don't know how many of those starts were behind the dish i don't have that in front of me but the fact that he was suited up and on the field for 161 games it is a lot for a guy. It's 124 how many games he, he appeared in behind the dish is the answer to that one. So, I mean, yeah, you imagine now MJ Melendez is going to get some run, right? Like you're still going to have him make some starts. And this isn't your traditional starter and backup situation. This is like uh, the superstar, really exciting franchise catcher in Salvador Perez and then his heir apparent and MJ Melendez kind of getting some time in between. But I think these guys could split up when they're not catching at DH. The two of them, these two catchers for the Royals last year combined for 89 home runs, Peter. Like 89, 89 home, home runs. runs between AAA and the big leagues. Melendez hit 41 last year in the minors, and we had 48, right, from, from Salvi Perez. I mean, that's offensive production that is... The framing matters, but Salvi does a lot of things beyond that, right? We talk about, uh, this is a conversation I had with MJ Melendez himself, and he was just saying, yeah, pitchers love throwing to Salvi because there's so much I can learn from him in terms of the way he calls a game, the way he works with pitchers, things like that. And I wonder if, you know, getting a few more days off a week will maybe help him with, with the, that other side of things when it comes to framing and receiving and everything and just being more present pitch to pitch. I think it's just nothing but but better days ahead uh, for, I think, Salvi on the defensive side because they'll spread out his usage a little bit like we saw how it worked for Posey. And you're going to keep his bat in the lineup, throw him at the DH spot. Uh, I'm really excited about the catching situation in Kansas City. I want to ask you more about MJ Melendez because you have a special relationship with MJ. Um, and But before we get into nitty-gritty of who he is and how he kind of burst onto the scene because he was not a top prospect until about a year ago until he came out and hit 41 freaking home runs. And <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to do it, right? Suit. It's a good way but to do it. But something I wanted to bring up, a great way to do it, something I wanted to bring up about that quickly is Chris Bassett was on the Pitching Ninja show. And he had this great 
answer to Pitching Ninja's question when they're just talking about war, guys, talking about analytics versus intangibles, what's important on a baseball field. And Chris Bassett said, there are guys in your locker room who might have a five war, and it's really important to have talent. But there are guys who have a three war who teams and players alike would prefer in their locker room and prefer on their team moving forward. He mentioned that Sean Manaya might have a three war, but... Everyone else's war goes up 0.5 when Sean Manaya's in the room. It's going to make them play better. It's going to make them feel better. And Salvador Perez, from all reports, is that dude adding war to the rest of his team. So, although there are some parts about Salvador Perez that shine bright red as in bad when it comes to the framing metrics, that's one season where he played all 161 with a very young pitching staff. And I fully expect Salvador Perez to bounce back, be a better defender next year, especially now with MJ Melendez coming up. So, Arm, who is this guy who hit 41 home runs? Yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, this. That the funny thing is, too, is like second round pick and the Royals were excited about him and him and Nick Prado together had horrid debuts. They both barely were able to even flirt with the Mendoza line. Struck out a ton. It was just a bad go for them. And it was a top-to-bottom thing for the Royals org with some of those guys in the lower levels struggling to hit. MJ made some adjustments with his approach. He made some adjustments with his swing. And he just put it all together last year. I mean, his father, Merville Melendez, head coach at Florida International University. So during the lockout, or the lockout, my gosh, shows you how much that's on my head, <laughs> on my mind right now. Yeah. It's their meeting as we speak. Uh, during the pandemic, you know, he, he was able to work one-on-one with a Division one college baseball coach who you know really knows his stuff, but MJ's a hard worker, and uh, by all accounts, he just really talked about how much he studied his what where he went wrong and how much he needed to make some adjustments to his swing to be able to lift the ball more consistently, barrel and be on time, and he figured it out, man. I mean, the strikeout rate was almost halved. The power was off the charts. He he has a good approach. He walks. He does a little bit of everything, and the defense is strong too. Now you get to have this guy learn from Salvi. Uh, and learn from him in terms of how to handle a staff, how to continue to develop as a catcher, who he already actually projects as an above-average defender. He's the future for for this Royals team, and I think we're going to start to see him get integrated more and more. And eventually, I think we'll see Salvi, I wouldn't say phased out, but just spend a little bit more time in the DH role. That might be two years down the road, but I know they're going to want to get Melendez some run. So it's going to be really fun seeing those two split time back there. Obviously, Salvi getting a majority of the run, but still would be a lot of fun to see those two. Think about this as well. What is a better situation for another prospect in baseball coming up behind a legend like that? Like I'm thinking about, okay, Joey Bart in San Francisco coming after Buster Posey, but now Buster Posey is retired. So he doesn't really get a full season with him to train. I don't know any young catchers coming up in the Cardinal system right now. It, it backs up Yadier Molina. Um, Besides that, I mean, is there a better situation for a prospect to come up and learn with a guy who is still in his offensive prime in Salvador Perez? Yeah, I I don't know, man. They they talk about Ivan Herrera uh, of the Cardinals, who is just not there yet as somebody that when he gets a chance and and big league camp like follows around Yachty like a puppy dog, which I would too if I was a catcher. I would just be like, I'm taking notes on every single thing he does. Oh, he drank his water. What he eats. Yeah, Yeah. literally. So, (laughs) but Herrera, like you said, like they don't have anybody that's on the cusp of really making a big league impact. I don't think there's another mentorship type of opportunity like that. I'm sure maybe on the pitching side, but that's a very open-ended room where it's just all the pitchers together. Yeah, on a position player side of things, especially behind the dish, 
no way is anybody getting as much of an opportunity as MJ Melendez is going to get to heat advice from Salvi Perez. Uh, I mean, the, the arrow is up on MJ Melendez, I can tell you that. And I know we're spending a lot of time on the catcher's position, and it's it's just because the best player on the Royals is currently their catcher, and one of their best prospects coming up is a catching yeah. prospect. So what can we expect from MJ Melendez in 2022? Or should we expect 500 plate appearances? Like, is he going to get a ton of playing time? And if he were to get 500 plate appearances, what could we expect? Yeah, great question. And, and I, I think we should, right? Like, what else does MJ Melendez need to uh, show you in, in the minor leagues? He had a 157 WRC plus in double A. They bump him up to triple A for 44 games. 170 WRC plus there. 17% right, walk what are we rate. Doing? 21% K rate. Like, you don't, 17% walk rate? In triple A. Wow. In triple A. Wow. And wow. The 41 jacks. Right? Something Salvi doesn't do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Does not walk at all. So, you know, that's to me. We don't need to see anything else from from MJ Melendez, especially if he's not catching every day. I would understand that angle of it. Let this guy DH. You cannot tell me Carlos Santana is DHing instead. Like that, no. So I, I want to see 400, 500 plate appearances from from MJ Melendez, and I'm sure there'll be a little bit of getting accustomed to big league lefties, things like that. But if he if he gets a full four or five hundred plate appearances, I think we can see 25 home runs, and I think we could see a solid. 270, or even if it's lower on 250, 260, he's going to get on base at a 350 clip and hit you for power. I think we could see that no problem uh, from Melendez, especially if he's DH and out of the gate. And just to wrap up the catcher position, they also have Cam Gallagher, who is a 29 year old. Um, he, you know, he had 250 last year, 124 plate appearances. He's a decent backup. If they need him, they got him. Just put it out there. Cam Gallagher, remember the name in case he hits a home run. The one he hit time. one last year. Yeah, he hit one. In case <laughs> he, did, he does it he again. Hit, he, did hit, <laughs> he did hit one last year. Almost a 300 on base. Just saying. Moving on to first base, a guy with a 319 on base percentage who's normally in the 400s, who seems to be on his way out at the ripe old age of 36 years old. That's Carlos Santana. But they also have starting most likely as Hunter Dozier. But Hunter Dozier and his 285 on base percentage <laughs> and his below 400 slugging, I don't know what the answer is currently at first base. We might have to teach MJ how to play first base right now because Hunter Dozier seems like an all right option, but you really want a big bopper over there at first base. And when you you have a slugging percentage about 200 points lower than Salvi. <laughs> yeah. Nah, no thanks. Yeah, there you go. No thanks. Yeah, no thanks. Give me Nick Prado. When Nicky, like Whit Merrifield slugged higher than Hunter Dozier last year and Whit Merrifield hit 10 home runs. So, yeah. Dozier, I, there's weirdly Dozier is one of those guys that I feel like fans have held out hope for for a while. Uh, you know, he gave them a lot. To he does love. have a nice swing. He, and he looked good in 2019. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm kind of moving on from Dozier at this point. He's 30. He's going to be closer to 31 when the season starts. And you've got another prospect in Nick Prado who was outrageous last year. Like, outrageous. 30-plus homers. Walks, I think, as much as MJ Melendez. And gold glove caliber defender at first. Yes, you're giving a lot of ABs to rookies here, potentially, because we're going to get to that Bobby Wick guy later, too. But this is a good Bizarre. balance here of being able to, I think, get some guys some some reps and also still be trying to compete for now. I think Nick Prado is going to give you just as good, if not better, than whatever you're going to get, even if he struggles. Like, Carlos Santana and Hunter Dozier, are they really going to be that much better than Nick Prado getting his feet wet no. at the big league level? No way. And Prado's an elite no. defender at first, too. Let the kids play. So you're all, 
Is is Nick Prado already better right now than both of them? I think so. And the Royals are a team that doesn't really care about service manipulation time. We we've, we've talked about this before. They're they're more privy to say, you know what? It is time. He makes our team better. Let's put him on the roster. So if Nick Prado is ready, will we see him on the roster? I think so, man. Like I- that's a guy that I could see them try to justify keeping him down a little bit longer just because they have, they're paying, I don't know what the exact amount is, it was like two years, 17 and a half for Carlos Santana. So they have to pay him another eight, nine million this year. Uh, so maybe they'll want to start Prado down there and just see how Santana does to start the year. Uh, Prado's a guy that's going to strike out a little bit. I mean, 29% K rate last year. But he has always kept it there, and he walks so much and gets so much quality of contact with his 36 home runs that I'm not too worried about him uh, being able to be productive at the big league level. I could see Prado being one of those guys that comes up a little bit later, and they give Dozier and Santana a little bit of run out of the gate. I don't know what you think about that. I mean, maybe screw it, like see how those guys do, but I would rather see Prado. I I would rather see Prado. I guess you would give Dozier and Santana somewhat of the benefit of the doubt. You know, start them up early because they're not terrible. And they both just did have down offensive years in 2021. But it's not like these these are just placeholder guys until Prado is ready. These are serviceable big league guys. Dozier is going to play across the diamond. He could play third. You could throw him in an outfield corner. Santana, he's limited. He's only going to DH. I don't really know what his role is going to be, but you're paying him ten plus million dollars. You got to roll him out there. But if 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 you got to try Nick Prado almost immediately, I think because so. if Nick Prado just seems like a better player than both of them as currently constructed as Nick Prado doesn't even have an MLB at bat yet. Yeah, I think so, because again, like he is so good defensively. And, and Carlos Santana, like he played a lot for them last year and he was not good. 2019, he was great. But great. when you're looking at someone like Santana, Peter, when they're 35, 36 years old and you're looking back at 2019, there's a good chance he might just never be that anymore, right? Like, he might he might never yeah. get back to that. And I would rather like find out— you don't out, get older and better. David Ortiz. That, the, David the, Ortiz, Barry Bonds. And, uh, and those guys all have something and, and, in common. And those guys are all tracked to something. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're all tracked on something. <laughs> so unless unless they uh, – well, MLB is not testing right now. Maybe Carlos Santana will, will uh, shoot up 40 jacks. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? just comes out next year, Carlos Santana, 300, 400, 600 with 40 bombs. Just like, yeah, they did test. He walks you know, a lot. That would make sense after a lockout. After a lockout, all these guys come back just insane. It'd probably be the best thing that could happen for baseball, honestly. <laughs> like, Actually. It would be. Uh, but realistically, I think they give him a little bit of run. Prado probably spends the first month in the minors. But like you said, I mean, the Royals are a team that if Prado, in if there is spring training, if Prado rakes in spring training, they'll let him go. Like, they'll, they'll give him the they'll give him the, the nod. Uh, so I'm excited to see how that looks. But I, I, I would imagine they might give Santana a little bit of run to start. And I know it's I know it's pretty early for these guys, but I gotta say, Arm, Salvador Perez, MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, those are three of your nine spots in the order already. That's really strong. That's potentially, dare I say, a hundred and twenty home say, runs possibly. That's what I was I was literally about to go to that exact like argument or that exact point of that could be a hundred and fifty and hundred twenty home runs. Uh that's crazy. And we're not even getting to that some of the cra- other dudes. There's not a lot of team. 
Yeah, and we still have the best prospect in baseball to talk about. But first, before we do that, a Kansas City Royal staple is Whit Merrifield, who's most likely going to open the year at second base. But he had a down yeah. year. He was not very good last year. 277, 317 on base percentage with a 395 slugging. Yes, he's going to get on base and he's going to steal. You know, he stole 40 bags last year. So he's still got the speed. But Aram. Yeah. Are you worried at all about Whit Merrifield? It's because this is this guy has been so consistent for so long now. But what happened last year? It's so weird, man. Because you mentioned it, right? Like if if he was not running as well, and you're, you could probably, you know, make it a, a case injuries, that, that yeah. oh, he's slowing down a little bit. Injuries, bodies impacting him, whatever it is. But I mean, the guy swept forty bags. The guy still yeah. flies. Uh, he still is Whit Merrifield, and, and he was still the guy that could play all over the diamond and played great defense. I don't know. You know, I really don't know. The, the thing that stood out the most to me, really struggled against breaking balls. That's something to, to monitor, I guess. So you're going to see more of those moving forward. But, I mean, Whit Merrifield's a gamer. He still gave you 3.2 F4, and I just mm. don't think he can be worse. I really don't think he'll I be agree. worse. And, you know, maybe it was a little bit of just an empty lineup at times uh, where maybe he wasn't seeing as much to hit. He's not a guy that's going to walk a lot. He's, he's, he's an aggressive hitter. But that, this is a big X factor, right, Pete? I mean, th- this is a guy that if he's playing to the caliber of what we saw, I believe it was 2019 and really just any year previous, this is a team that would that looks a lot different, I think, with Whit Merrifield at the I mean, top. Arm, there's, there's a pattern forming. And it's not just Whit Merrifield. It's across the league. The more we do these, I we keep running into light-hitting infielders or light-hitting outfielders that had a power surge in 2019. You know, maybe 2018. And then 2021, they had down numbers, didn't slug. The juiced ball thing is something that continues to come into my mind. What happened to DJ LeMahieu? What happened to Glaber Torres? What happened to Whit Merrifield? There's a lot more guys who we keep going around and be like, hey, why does slugging drop 100 points? Yeah. Why does all these guys continue to happen? I'm curious, was the power from Whit Merrifield due to a little bit of the juice ball factor? Or, because then it's like, was that was it just a down year and I'm reading too far into it, not a juice ball thing? Or is this what we should kind of come to expect in the slugging department from Whit Merrifield. We shouldn't expect 20 home runs anymore. We should expect 10 with a 420 slugging percentage, but if he can get on base enough to make an impact on the base pass, and obviously on defense, and then with the batting average, doubles, singles, but we may not see 20, 25 home runs kind of ever from Whit Merrifield. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I've I've thought about that a lot, man. I think you bring up an excellent point that the John Carlos Stantons of the world are not going to be impacted no matter, you could, you could throw a sock. You could throw a sock at him, Literally. he's going to hit it 450 feet. Literally. But the guys that hit the yeah. home runs that are 370-foot bombs, and you change the baseball on them, that's the difference between a deep fly ball and and a home run. And I think mm-hmm. that could easily be – I mean, Whit Merrifield fits in the same bucket of the guys that you mentioned that kind of can be impacted uh, but by the same thing. Uh I wouldn't be surprised at all, but either MLB goes back to the baseballs that we've come accustomed to, which I think they might do because more offense is I think they better. definitely will. I mean, I they, think they about- definitely will. I think we're going to see some crazy offensive years for people next year. Oh, yeah. And the funny thing is they did it for the primetime games, right? So they know that yep. it means it's better for baseball. I assume they're going to bring that back in there. 
Uh, that would help, but let's say they don't. It's crazy that we're even talking about this. Like, yeah. MLB could just gets to choose what baseball we fucking use. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's nuts. It's nuts. Like, imagine if we were talking about the NBA and, like, three-point shooters be like, oh, well, the ball's a little bit slicker, so I don't know if we could assume yeah. that the guy's going to shoot the same. Like, are we kidding? Yeah, like, you're playing the Warriors, and they they bring out the basketballs yeah. that are, like, easier to grip and shoot. Blue. Yeah. <laughs> just like, well, the Mountain Dew ball from the three-point contest. Oh. They're just using that one now. Oh. And they're like, wait, how do we handicap that game? What's that ball like? Oh, my God. That's, like, actual things that we have to deal with. Yeah, you're going to have to, like, we're going to have to find out if, if that primetime thing's still going on. I, I bet you, Peter, it's going to be really funny to watch the the public betting. I know that's something you, of course, always keep an eye on. Oh, yeah. Let's see the over-unders oh, yeah. on the Sunday night baseball games. See if all the public thinks they're being like slick and cribbing the overs on these uh, primetime games. But the funniest thing about Whit Merrifield <laughs> is his exit velo was actually up from 2020. Uh that's the weird thing about it. So I think he's hitting the ball as hard as he was before. It's just not carrying. It's not really popping off the bat the same way. But at impact, it's about the same. I think what's going to bounce back, I really do. We saw the launch angle dip a little bit too. I think he's going to get back to where he is. He's too talented. He's he's too much of a ball player. I think people throw out professional hitter, all that stuff. He's Whit Merrifield's a freaking ball player, right? Like, what, if ball someone player. says name a ball player, that's one of the first names I'm going with. I don't know who, who who's your other ball player. Like, who's another? And even as a name, that's like it, a ball player. Whit I Merrifield. Like, that's it's just funny. a gamer Two, ball player, dude. Two names come to mind, and both aren't even currently playing in baseball anymore. Michael Young of the Texas mm-hmm. Rangers and Dustin Pedroia yes, of exactly, the Boston Red Sox. Exactly. Those were ball players. Ball players. You know, maybe they're not leading exit velo leaderboards. Maybe they're not, you know, maybe they're not even the best at their position. But you know what they are? They're gamers. They're grinders. And they know how to win. And Whit Merrifield knows how to win. And I'm excited to see what Whit Merrifield does next year because I agree. I think he's going to bounce back. I just remember seeing him just being like, this just doesn't seem like the same type of player. But he still hit almost 280. But he just wasn't walking either. And the home runs kind of left him. But at second base... I mean, he could play outfield, too. He could play kind of all over. But shortstop is what I want to talk about because Whit Merrifield has the starting second base job in the back. Because right now, Arm, they have three. <laughs> they have Bobby Witt Jr., they have Aldoberto Mondesi, and they have Nicky Lopez. But you go through each one of them. Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be amazing, we think. But he is a prospect. Anything could happen. We've seen crazier in baseball for those guys not to work out. Raul Mondesi, Aldoberto Mondesi. He gets hurt all the freaking time. Way too much. He's consistently injured. That's the reason Nicky Lopez made the team last year. Nicky Lopez wasn't even supposed to make the roster, but since Mondesi got hurt at like the 11th hour of spring training, they brought up Nicky Lopez. And Nicky Lopez was always a glove first guy, always a phenomenal defender. No one has ever doubted anything about that. But nobody expected 300, and I don't know if we should expect 300 again when you really look into it. So what the hell should they do at shortstop? I think I know the answer, and I think the answer is the best prospect in baseball. But they might have different opinions about it. That's where. That's why I wanted to do the Royals. This is why I pitched you on the Royals, because they, they're they keen on winning as soon as possible. Right? Like last year, they signed that two-year deal for Carlos Santana. Like They did some things that somewhat painted a picture of we want to do things now going to get Andrew Benatendi 
And I would assume, you know, they, they don't want to have a trial period at first base for a rookie trial period, half the time behind the dish or even less than that. I don't really worry about the dish as much, but DH could be a guy that's a rookie as well. And then your shortstop is going to be a rookie that is feeling things out. But at the same time, Nicky Lopez is, I don't think his value is ever going to be higher. There is no way he hits 300 again this coming season. And he was a 300, 365, 378 guy. I mean, it's, it's threes across the board for the slash line. And I'm not trying to knock Lopez down. He was so good last year. And I think he's really solidified himself as a big leaguer for a long time, which I don't think a lot of people were yes. saying about him before. I mean, credit to Nicky Lopez for a second. Yeah. He was number one in outs above average out of all defenders. And that's probably the best defensive stat that we have at our disposal. He was number one, not just at shortstop, number one in all of baseball. At he should t- be a starter on 18. For sure. For sure. But maybe not a team that has Bobby Witt Jr. And that's the interesting thing is I think the Royals look at it and they're like, okay, Bobby Witt has an aggressive approach. There's a little bit of swing and miss there. No one's worried long term, but let's say there's some growing pains. Let's say there's some Jared Kelnick level growing pains out of the gate, which I'm not expecting. But would you be awe stricken if he struggled a little bit out of the gate? No, it's baseball, right? It's a rookie. Water Franco struggled out of the gate. Like it happens. And Water Franco just signed a two hundred million (laughs) dollar extension at the age of fourteen. So yeah, it happens. It happens. But if that happens with the Royals, they're in trouble. For this season. Not good. For this season. They're in trouble. Big trouble. So yeah. I think they oh, might yeah, just for they season. might yeah. be worried that, you know, okay, if, if Bobby Witt struggles, now what? We're we're forced to roll with Mondesi at shortstop every day. So I, I think they're looking at it like, okay, we're gonna go with, with Bobby Witt at third. And we'll see how it goes from there and see how he hits and see how he develops. If if Witt is swinging it, maybe they'll say, Okay, we can trade Nicky Lopez during the season. And that's just the, the more I've been trying to think about it and try to figure out what their rationale is. But I almost feel confident enough that Mondesi is a backup plan is okay. Uh, but yeah, where, where do you line up on all this, uh, on, on what you would do? The, the thing is, if Mondesi is healthy, he's a great option. I think he's a very solid player. He's going to play good defense. He could. St- I mean, he's one of the fastest players in baseball. He is a threat every single time he gets on the base pass. He's projected like 30 stolen bases at a 285 batting average. That just goes to show how crazy athletic this guy is. So I would never call it a force to start him. It's just, I know what you're saying. It's they might be forced to start him. It's how many games can you guarantee from Aldoberto Mondesi? So if we're talking about a talent, great talent. If we're talking about the best availability is or the best ability is availability, he doesn't really have that ability. No. So what I would do, I, I actually kind of totally agree with your thinking. I think you start Nicky Lopez at shortstop because Nicky Lopez also didn't do anything to prove last year that he doesn't at least deserve another crack exactly. at it. He was the best defender in all of baseball, coupled with the fact that that he hit 300. And when you hit 300, he hit 300. Is he going to do it again? I don't know, but he at least should get a shot at doing so. And right now, I mean, the third base option is Hunter Dozier. Exactly. exactly. Or it's Bobby Wood Jr. Exactly. Like, they don't really have anyone there. They also have Emmanuel Rivera, who's on their bench as well, who, you know, had 98 plate appearances last year, you know, didn't really show much. And you can't rely on him to be, and he's only 26 years old, you can't really rely on him to be a guy there. So... I think you might not have a choice whether or not to start Bobby Witt Jr. at third base. But Bobby Witt Jr. is not just this young gun, raw prospect who I'm like, oh, if you put him at third base, that's actually not good for his development. 
He's so freaking yeah. talented that I think that's not going to do anything to him. And if he's playing half a season at third base, then moves over to short. Maybe Nicky Lopez is actually having a decent half season. You can cash in on some of that value. And even if he's kind of puttering a little bit, you can still kind of bank on that 2021 season and be like, he's still getting, you know, you know, his, you know he's getting his, I don't know. How would you sell Nicky Lopez if he's having a down season? I mean, <laughs> I was just trying. I'm like, I don't, a GM is like, oh, so you believe in him? And you're like, well. Well, the, the, the glove, right? So you're, you're selling the glove. worst case scenario. Scenario: You have a supreme defender who can play second, play third if you really need him to, like super utility type. Utility guy that for puts contender. the bat on the ball, right? That's the worst yes. case scenario. I, I think that the glove is good enough where you could probably justify having him in the lineup every day. I, I need to see more in terms of just body of work to see how good he is defensively. I know he's elite, but like Andrelton Simmons, for example, at his peak was a good hitter. That's the difference. But Simmons is still around, or at least has still been around for a while because of how well he could pick it. If if he's off the charts defensively, he will always have that value. So I think they look at it, and I think you bring up the point I agree with, which is Bobby Witt, I, I, at first I was like, okay, this is the best shortstop prospect in baseball. Put him at freaking short and let him roll. He's so good defensively. But then I realized he's going to be great at third defensively. And once it's his time to go to short, it's not like he's going to lose it. Baseball is never like riding a bike, but when it comes to defense and guys like that, if you're on the left side of the infield, he'll be fine. So I'm with you. If you're trying to be as competitive as you can right now, and you don't think that it's going to undermine Witt's development, which I think we're in agreement that it won't, let's roll with Lopez at short and and see how things continue to go. Um, and if if Lopez is raking and doing well, then your team's probably in really good shape. And if he's struggling a little bit and Witt's swinging it, then maybe you can go make a deal because I don't think anybody was going to give up a ton for Nicky Lopez right now anyways with the same concerns and questions that we have right now. Uh, so I think that's the best approach to it. And that's something I didn't always feel. The more I've thought about it, the more it's kind of brought me to that way and, and to that way of thinking, especially because, like you said, who else is going to play third? It would be Mondesi or Dozier. Agreed. Because, Arm, I was going to come to you with some trades with Nicky Lopez for for starting pitching, or I don't even know if they need to start pitching, but I was going to bring some trades, Nicky Lopez, for somebody. But then I thought to myself, well, if they trade Nicky Lopez and then they put Bobby Wood Jr. at short, who's playing third? It's, so you're just kind of creating a problem that you don't really need. What Bobby Wood Jr. needs is at-bats. At-bats. That's what he needs. He just needs reps. Yep. You guys talked about it on the podcast yesterday. He needs reps. He will get those reps playing third base. Also, with the constant shifting that infielders do all the time, he's probably going to be fielding things at second. We have Manny Machado fielding fly balls right in right field. field. So I mean, yeah. So I, it's not like he's just only going to you know be up on the infield and only be retrieving third base. He's still going to be get and also. You could possibly give Bobby Witt more opportunities at shortstop. Yeah, he'll Nikki get run Lopez there. Exactly. exactly. Also, Mondesi is going to be playing all over. If Mondesi can stay healthy, this is a dynamic infield. If we're talking Prado, then we're talking Witt, then we're talking other Witt, then we're talking Nicky Lopez, Raul Mondesi. That's kind of electric. Could be one of the it's best. Really exciting. Could be one of the best defensive infields in, in baseball. Because we're talking about what Nicky Lopez does at shortstop. Bobby Wood's going to be the one of the rangier third basemen out there, aside from yeah. the elite of the yeah, elite already. third basemen. He would be phenomenal out there. That's going to be a sick infield. And now you, you got Salvi back there maybe sharing some time with MJ Melendez. I love the way that 
comes together here. And even if they don't perform the way you would hope right out of the gate, like you said, the reps, they're going to develop. And then in a year, that that infield's going to be really freaking good. And that's going to be one of the best defensive infields out there. This reminds me of the young core that the Kansas City Royals had on their way to a championship, but better offensively. Better offensively. Because that team made its money off defense and bullpen and pitching. And this team is developing that. But then on the other side, all these defenders, they rake. They rake. MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, Bobby Witt Jr., get excited, Kansas City, because this team is good. This team will be good. It's just this year, I don't know how much mm-hmm. we should expect. That's the thing. But I, So let's move on to the, Oh, no, No, sorry. I was just going to say, it's funny. I kind of sense, I also have done so many of these with you. I, I kind of just know you like the back of my hand. But also, I feel like both of us have gotten more excited about the Royals as we've recorded this. <laughs> like, I've noticed yeah, literally. we were excited about you're it. Like, you're like, oh, like, this all kind of makes some sense wait a minute. here. I can kind of see it. I'm seeing your tone, like, change a little bit. I'm feeling my tone change a little bit. I'm like, hmm, I might have to watch these guys a little bit more. And I got to say, once we move into the outfield, you know, I think Andrew Benatendi is a solid left fielder and should be the left fielder. I mean, last year, 276, 324, 442. Now, that doesn't sound amazing, but it was one of the best figures on the Royals. And, you know, it was his first year in Kansas City. He's just getting accustomed to the city. I think next year he's approaching his age 28 season, a 28-year-old season. I like Andrew Benatendi. I think he's a solid player. And I think he kind of fills in that Alex Gordon type that they used to have in left field for a while. Benatendi's never going to be the defender, but I think he could be a better offensive player. Yeah, and I think he's that kind of guy that, you can count on in the six or seven hole to just put the bat on the ball, sprinkle in some home runs, play good defense. He hits lefties well enough. As you mentioned, I I really have no issue uh, at all. Actually, hits lefties really well. I have no issue at all with rolling with him in the outfield. The the one thing I will say, though, is if if you're rolling with Ben Attendee, I also like Kyle Isbell. I I am a fan of Kyle Isbell. I thought he put up good numbers last year. I'm very interested to see what he could do. I just don't think you can have a three-man outfield with Isbell, Benatendi, and um, who am I drawing a blank on in center right now? Michael A. Taylor. Michael A. Taylor, Michael a. Fort Lauderdale guy, of course, once over my rival high school. Michael A. Taylor, great yeah, defender. That's, that's a fourth outfielder. Yeah. That's a fourth outfielder. Yeah, it is. That's yes, where is. I'm looking to make the move. And and I have a couple of trades I'm looking to make here. I like Isbell. I want to see what he can do. I can't. He's kind of similar to Benatendi, honestly. But I think you need a little bit more yeah. offense in the outfield and and – that can be gained the easiest way in center field, I think. And you also have Edward Olivares on the roster as well. He had five home runs and 111 plate appearances last year. He showed a little bit of pop, slugged over 400, but he's not going to be most likely in the equation. So not only do they not really have a full outfield yet, because you and I are kind of on the same boat, Michael A. Taylor don't think he's the answer. I think Isbell is the answer in right field, though. Um, and you're and just talking about the numbers. I mean, Kyle Isbell as a 24 year old, I know he only had 83 plate appearances, but a 276, 337, 434 slash line in his first season was promising. And moving forward next year, he's a guy who can do a little bit of everything. So I'm excited. I think we're going to slot him into right field. I, my only thing is a projection of what I think Isbell could do. What what comes to your mind when you think what's the final slash line for Kyle Isbell going to be? Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. Well, I think there's 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 some power in there. I, I'm looking Me at too. I'm looking at like a 275, 355, 450 kind of line, which 
is really solid. Is really really eight hundred OPS guy. Yeah, and, and I think he can play center. So there's a couple different ways you can tackle this. He's not going to be as good of a defender in center field as as a Michael A. Taylor is going to be. Uh, and there's one center field target that I'm going to float. But if you wanted to go corner outfield and, and go more on the on the masher side, you could move Isbell to center field. He made 55 starts out there in center field last year. He, he's an above average runner and he tracks the ball well. He'll be an above average defender. And like we talked about, you already have an elite defensive infield. Uh, you have a good defender in Benatendi, and if you go if you go move Isbell to center field, the bat would even carry even more, right? Instead of a corner outfield giving you 800 OPS, an 800 OPS from a center fielder is pretty good, and he's going to sprinkle in some bags too. I mean, the guy swiped 22 in AAA, and he swiped two more in the big leagues. He can do a little bit of everything. I I, I like Isbell. I think he's one of the more underrated prospects uh, in baseball. Agreed. The only problem is not with Isbell, with Michael A. Taylor. Michael A. Taylor has had an amazing effect on MLB scouts and MLB teams alike. Because Michael A. Taylor is 31 years old. And he's gotten every opportunity possible. And I think I know why. Have you ever seen him take batting practice? Oh my god, dude. (laughs) It's crazy. He fucking rakes like you've never seen before. He, when he's ranging around in the outfield, he looks like the flying Dutchman. He looks like Buxton. If we're looking at a straight talent, like not on the field, you look at Michael Aitani, you're like, we just have to give this guy opportunities because in practice, he's the best player on our team. I, That's all I ever know about Michael A. Taylor, that in practice, he's like the greatest practice player of all time. He's a showcase god. He's like that classic guy a literal god. at the showcases that's nasty and then just doesn't make it happen in the games. He's so good defensively, 99th percentile, and outs above average. The guy was drafted in 2009, Peter. At what point? 2009. Great fourth outfielder. I think he is a 500-foot home run under his belt, too. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like. Like, he's that dude. He's got that. <laughs> like Fourth outfielder. Supreme defense. Get him a lot of ABs as a fourth, and he'll run into some home runs. But at the end of the day, he had a 6.53 OPS. This is not somebody that can be getting 528 plate appearances. Think about replacing those plate appearances with a Ramon Laureano. Like that—that's where. So let's talk. Let's talk outfielders. That's that's where I'm. Let's talk outfielders then. Okay. All right. So you're talking Ramon Laureano. All right. So Ramon Laureano coming off a PED suspension. Most likely will be a little bit cheaper. The Oakland A's are trying to burn it down. Uh, we looked at the Zips projections, and they had the A's at 81 wins. We don't necessarily think they should. They have about six or seven above-average players that should contribute to their team in 2022. But they've decided, eh, we'd rather just trade them and start all over again because we have a fantasy baseball team, and we only <laughs> like to spend about $20 Literally. on our team. So let's trade some of them. Ramon Laureano first, center fielder, would instantly make an impact if we're talking defense he's got it the bat he's got it the only problem is peds how well will he bounce back but the royals seem like a team that could attack him what would you trade for see and that's the thing for me it's like i'm looking at it and i'm saying they were okay with michael a taylor offensively you're gonna go trade for for loriano even if he takes a small step back or medium step back offensively because of the PDs, which I don't think he still will. Still way better than Taylor. He's still way better offensively, and he's just as good. <laughs> way better than Taylor, and he's just as good defensively. Oh, maybe even better. Maybe, maybe even better. Honestly, literally. I mean, he's his arm is crazy. That he has that one clip I always think about where he catches it up against the wall, always. takes the crow hop, and throws it on a fly, and you're like, "What in the world did I just see?" 
that and the Cespedes throw are the two throws. Two where craziest I'm throws like, I've ever seen. That's that's stupid. That shouldn't even be allowed. But I look at the Royals, and, and it was a head scratcher for me because I'm like, okay, who do I trade? They have a bajillion arms that have all kind of underperformed. And before I give the proposal, is it selling low on Asa Lacy, or are you cutting losses before it gets uglier? I agree. I'm cutting losses. He seems okay. I, I think he'll be better. I don't think he's going to be some some combustion of a prospect. Fil- I was watching. Fi- I was watching film this morning. There's no doubt that he has great stuff. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. But it's it's not amazing. When you throw 75 percent heaters, like, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's got great stuff with no command. It's kind of similar to a lot of these Royals pitchers. But even, like, I don't think he has as good a stuff as Daniel Lynch. Like, I think there are a couple other guys who have better stuff who already are kind of underperforming on this Royal staff. Asa Lacey kind of seems just like another guy who might get shelled when he gets to the bigs if he cannot develop a third pitch and if he can't locate. He didn't make it above high A. Uh, There's there's some questions on Lacey, but there's still value there, right? I mean, he's still a top 100 prospect in a lot of eyes, just outside to a lot of other people. Maybe you cut your ties now and, and cash in before it gets uglier because you've clearly shown in the past that the Royals aren't the best at turning things around for their uh, for their pitching really. prospects. And they did just draft Frank Mazzucato, who our guy Pete Flaherty saw you a lot love. of. Pete Flaherty saw a lot of him, loves Mazzucato and thinks he's polished with the stuff. So I'm like, you just got a left-handed pitching prospect. You have Daniel Lynch. You have some other guys. You have a lot of pitching prospects, period. I would want to trim some of the volatility. So I'm starting a deal. I'm okay with parting with Lacey because if you try to part with Lynch, I think his value might be a little bit more diminished. We'll see who, you know, it depends I, on who you're I don't talking want to. Par- I don't want to part with him yet. I don't either. He's, his stuff is so gross. He's done it at if double A. just figure out how to locate. Yeah. And he's done yeah, it at he double A. He can still do it. Lacey didn't even do it in yeah. high A, right? And, and, and Lacey's already going, he's 22 years old, right? So he, he's not one of the younger guys out there. I would go Lacey. I would probably, and this is where it gets tough. You probably want to package pitching more than anything if 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 you're yeah. the Royals, given your inability to develop it. So I was I was thinking Lacey, Vinny Pascantino, because that guy could plug in at first base if you're trading Matt Olson. And look, they've got Nick Prado right now, so there, there's really nowhere else to put Pascantino other than DH, and either Alberto Mondesi or another piece. And see, I think that I, th- I think it's good yeah. there. You have Lacey and Pascatino. That's enough. I think that's enough, that's too. That's a lot of upside for the A's. I, a lot of upside. I think so, too. you got the upside in Lacey, and you've got the plug-in first baseman, who I think is going to hit from day one, gets on base a ton, just seems to to be a guy that I think would, would be a fan favorite in Oakland. Pascantino to me, is almost can't miss on the offensive side of things. Lacey gives you the upside, and especially with A.J. Puck looking like it might not be working out, they traded Wizardo away. They could use a new left-hander in there. Uh, they haven't developed as well Great as everybody, point. but I still think that's somebody that you take a chance on any day of the week. They trade Loriano. I think Lacey and Pascantino for Loriano and you know maybe an upper-level arm or something like that or a reliever, whatever it may be, I, I I'd lock it deal, in. Dude. I love that deal because not only is, does that make so much sense for the Royals, it makes sense for the A's too. Mm-hmm. Because if the A's are most likely going to get rid of Matt Olson, you have your first baseman of the future because Tyler Soderstrom can play first base, right? Yep. What's the update on Tyler Soderstrom quickly? I know he rakes, but I don't know much about him defensively. I'm heard he doesn't really have a position. Yeah, at all. he had a bajillion pass balls last year. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I hate I hate the he's never going to catch type thing. 
Austin Wells for the Yankees has said, I want to catch. Okay, well, let's let's give him a chance. Let's see what happens. I'm not going to say— be worse than Gary. Like, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> if you put a gun to my head, I'm going to say that he probably ends up at first just because it's, it's, pro- it's more likely and easier. But I'm not saying the ship has sailed on Soderstrom, and he can swing it too. Uh, that's a guy, but he, you know, he's still another year or so away. And I, I think we're going to see somebody like Pascantino ready to go day one next year. But uh, you can't have enough of those bats for an Oakland team that's going to pre- presumably be rebuilding. And the A's could use a starter like Ace Lacy too, because I know we're bagging on him a little bit. But it's almost like I, unfortunately, probably believe in the A's ability to develop pitching over the Royals. Yes. So maybe could the A's go get Ace Lacy and then kind of tool with a couple things, improve his command, and then turn him into a Sean Mania esque. I know they don't really have the same similar but give stuff you your profile, but I'm just thinking about big starter. lefties. Yeah. Give your big lefty again, yeah. And um, and the A's the A's are a team can do it. You know they did it with James Caprillion. They're get, just getting guys who you know didn't know much about how they were going to develop on their own team. Then they got them, and now they're big leaguers. So I think Ace Lacy moving over to Oakland does a lot of good for Oakland. But putting Ramon Laureano in center now, you have Kyle Isabel in right, and you have Andrew Benatendi in left. Now you have Michael A. Taylor coming off the bench. Now you have Aldeberto Mondesi coming off the bench. And you have Carlos Santana on your bench. Like, now a it's team. a pretty good-ass bench. <laughs> yeah. And then you have Hunter Dozier to kind of move around. Most likely you're going to start him at first early. Then you bring up Nick Prado. Now, like, dude, this team's kind of sick. But let's talk about pitching first. That's the question. Let's talk about pitching first. But before we talk about pitching, any other bow ties? We talked about other center fielders that you could possibly be interested in. The only other thing I would think, and, and the Royals, they might spend a little bit more just because I look at I look at their situation. They're going to have $8 million or, or Did you have Santana's salary in front of you? I know it was two years, 17 and a half, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, it was like— um, I don't know if it was backloaded, yeah, whatever it is. It, it's going to be a decent amount of millions of dollars off the books with Santana. And then the rest of their team is very controllable. Lopez controllable, Witt controllable, uh, MJ controllable, Prado, same thing. The pitching staff, extremely controllable. What if they what if they messed around, man, and went out and just said, "Hey, like, let's go get like a Kyle Schwarber, stick him in the corner." <laughs> like, I think it's not going to happen. Of course, could use some. But thump. imagine a corner thumper, and you move Isbell to center. It would make that lineup maybe one of the more exciting home run lineups in baseball. I think the more feasible thing is they stick with the same mold and go Loriano in center. But I wouldn't mind moving Isbell to center, seeing how he does and getting a thumper in the corner. Uh, you could go Castellanos. You could go with Schwarber. You could go with a, a few different guys. It would be it would be pretty darn fun. And currently their payroll is about $91 million, And the Royals are not a team with a propensity to spend big money. But they do have some money available. I'm curious, on a friendly deal, could they get somebody like that? Maybe if we're moving close to the end of the, you know, end of the free agency season, guys are needing big deals, and maybe the Royals say, hey, Schwarber, we'll, we'll throw you, you know, we'll give you two years, $30 million. What do, What do you say? And they will decline. I would I would venture to say they'll decline Mike Miner's thirteen million dollar option in twenty twenty three. I don't know, man. Led the team in it. Led the team in it last year. <laughs> God, he was not good. Though. I mean, he's okay. I'm terrible, I guess. Yeah, he's fine. I mean, my. All right. So yeah, let's talk about the pitching. So Mike Miner, um, will open opening day? Maybe. Oh. Probably not. I wouldn't if I were them. Uh, he had one hundred fifty eight innings last year with a five point zero five ERA, and then you follow that up with Brad Keller. 
you know, 26 years old, 5'3", 9 ERA, and 132 innings. <sighs> then you follow it up with Brady Singer. But Brady Singer, I'm excited yeah. about. But last year, he just wasn't that good. A 4 9 one ERA in 128 innings. Then you have Chris Bubich, who pitched, who performed pretty well. And I think he was one of the surprising arms. And I know Bubich was it was one of their better mm-hmm. prospects, but he wasn't a top no. tippity top prospect. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was drafted in the uh, in the first round. It was his 40th overall. He's one of the supplemental picks. Um, but four four three ERA in 130 innings. And actually, a guy I'm really excited about is Carlos Hernandez. Last year, a three six eight ERA in 85 innings. He's actually nasty. And but then you know they have Daniel Lynch. Um, they have a couple more arms. But Daniel Lynch is going to have to kind of prove that he can make this rotation. But I got to be honest, Arm. You know, we talked about the Tigers and our worry about Casey Mize, about Matt Manning, about Tarek Skubal. Are you more confident in that trio? Or are you more confident in the Brady Singer, Bubich, Lynch trio? Oh, that is a great question. I know. Great question, Peter. It's a tough one. I'm going to say I'm more confident in the Tigers group. Because here's the thing, Casey Mize. But I. But can I? Can we say this? We're not that confident. No, either. no, no. That's a good. That's a good disclaimer. But Casey Mize, yeah. even as currently constructed, like this, this version of Casey Mize is still a big league arm. Whereas the version that we saw of Jackson Coar, the version that we saw yeah. of of some of these other guys, it was bad. Like Coar was was not even remotely competitive. Daniel Lynch One was not remotely worst. competitive at all uh, at the big league level. Singer, I I like Singer as much as anybody in Me these too. groups, right? I think I think Singer and Scooble. I, I like Scooble the most. Singer's not too far behind. I think he's going to be just fine. It's just a matter of continuing to find that third pitch. But a lot, a lot of things look good overall for him. That's the guy I'm probably giving the ball to on opening day. Frankly, Bubich should be a solid back end of the rotation. Lefty Hernandez is good, but I mean, you really, 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 really need Coar Lynch. You need one of those guys to step it up next year, and including Singer. But I'm saying with Singer presumably stepping it up, you need somebody like Coar or Lynch to put it together. And my money's on Lynch. My money is on Lynch too. Well, my money is on Brady Singer being the best oh, out of absolutely. all of them. I, st- I still think Brady Singer is a good starting pitcher. You know, even the FIP would say that he got a bit unlucky mm-hmm. in, in 2021. I still like Brady Singer. I still think he's solid. He, you know, his first-round pick. He's one of the top pitchers off the board out of Florida. At Florida, he was fucking awesome. Amazing. But a four nine one ERA is a four nine one ERA, and when you have two pitches and you're hanging that changeup, then I'm like, oh crap, you're so easy to yeah. hit. I'm watching Royals games and turning it on. Why do I watch Brady Singer? I'm like, you cannot beat people with ninety two. Like that can't be what you have, and. A lot of these guys, they have potential. You'll see an incredible slider. You'll see a high spin fastball. You'll see a diving changeup. But it's like these guys, they don't put it together, and they all had the same problem with command. So when I'm looking forward into the starting rotation, next year will be so telling because right now I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, they should go sign a big time starting pitcher they should go trade for Sonny gray no like you have to see what you have here Mm -hmm. like that's why this might not 2022 with bobby witt jr being a rookie nick prada being a rookie man jay melendez being a rookie a lot of young guys this might not be the year to do a lot of those different things 
because you just have to figure out what you have with the starting rotation. So what do they have? Yeah, so this is the fun thing, though, is you let, you roll out this year. Let's say it's a little bit shaky. You just say, okay, this is a developmental year, and we'll, we'll, we'll let these guys get their reps, get their ABs, and now we have a better idea of what our rotation is going to look like. But it, let's say there's a scenario, which I think is a very feasible one, where the Royals are raking. Like they're one of baseball's exciting offenses, and the young guys are swinging it. I think this is a very feasible scenario. Maybe they even possible. Maybe they went out and got a center fielder, and the pitching is spotty. Right, Singer takes a step up. Nobody else is stepping up. At that point, I think you could justify then making one of those moves. Right, you could go and get a Chris Bassett. You could go get a Sonny Gray because those guys at least come with a little bit of control and anchor your rotation and the price wouldn't be too steep for a Bassett or a Manaya or somebody else. If you want to make another trade with Oakland, you could make a trade with, with the Reds. You could make a trade with somebody that maybe is really sputtering out of the gate and becomes okay with parting with one of their starters. Maybe go get Gallon. Yeah, go get go Gallon from the Dimebacks, something would, like that. That would be a good one. I I That's how I would approach this. And if you're not seeing some of the youngsters step up and you're seeing the, the youngsters on the offensive side step up, you could go make a move because the bullpen's good, and we'll probably close out with that. But I think that you got to feel it out, like you said, but be ready to strike if you're seeing good things outside of the rotation. I agree. I you got to be ready to strike because I agree, especially in this AL Central. Right, the White Sox are the prohibitive favorites to win the division and should be. They're one of the best teams in baseball, but beyond that. We've had questions about the Guardians. The Guardians have had questions about their themselves, whether they want a deal or or, not, or no deal. Yeah. The Tigers, where are they in their development? We believe in the Tigers, but, you know, that might not be their year again in 2022. And then the Twins are the Twins. So you have opportunities to scoot by, possibly sneak into wildcard conversations. I just don't know if 2022 is the year, but if we're talking potential... The potential is there because if four of the lineup spots are Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, Bobby Witt Jr., and Salvador Perez, and then throw in Whit Merrifield and Andrew Benatendi, arm, that's six really good hitters. Like not, oh, you know, it's pretty good and we're being nice. No, no, no. That's six really, really good hitters. And you only got to cover nine more or you only got to cover three more. That's promising, especially if these pitchers can take the next steps. A hundred percent. And I don't think that they're going to be worse in any category. They won 74 games. No. Nope. Their offense is going to be better. Their pitching will be hard-pressed to be that much worse. This is a team that's a few ticks away from 80 wins. And if they're flirting with 80 wins down the stretch, you go out and get a starter. So I'm excited to see them do it for a couple months, see how things are going. And I'd expect them to be active during the season to make moves that – Help them in the short term and the long term. you got to be looking for those controllable pieces. Uh, and if they have some prospects that are performing, they'll have more guys that they can part ways with too. But there's a lot of different pieces that they could package together, I think, to go get a starting pitcher at some point. I agree. And so, you know, we're not adding to the starting rotation right now, but we've gone through all the guys. There's potential there. They have seven names. If three of them can turn in really good seasons, they'll be in great shape. And we haven't talked enough about Carlos Hernandez yet, but I am really excited. He kind of falls out of the realm 
but he is also just 25 years old and he performed the best out of all of them last year and he could continue to do so. You know, we're, we're hearing about Coard, Lynch, and Singer, but then it could be Carlos Hernandez, realistically, that ends up being the best out of all of them. Do you think that's possible? I think he could be the most consistent for sure. And that's yeah. that's the most important thing. Singer's going to give you those seven shutout innings with 10Ks, even if he's not not putting it all together because he just has that ability when the fastball and slider are on. We saw him take a no-hitter deep into a start. But I think Hernandez is going to be the guy that you know is just going to be mid-threes, high-threes, worst case, for the duration of the season and be pretty consistent. I really, really believe you're going to get that because the fastball is effective. It, that's the baseline for him. The slider is great. And he has so many different pitches that he can come at you with. To me, he's a high floor starter that's going to be Mr. Consistency for them. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's their best arm. I really think it's going to be between him and Singer. So let's talk bullpen. Right now, like I said, one of the best back-end duos in baseball, Scott Barlow and Josh Stamont, 28 and 29 years old respectively, both of them with ERAs under three last year. Scott Barlow at 2-4-2 and also led his team in saves with 16, with Stamont getting five of those. But they also have guys like Jake Brents, Domingo Tapia, Dylan Coleman. Even they have a guy named Gabe Spire. Gabe Spire uh, uh, pitched at my high school. Um, it was funny. We used to play with his younger brother as well. He's a good lefty. He was always solid. And now he's going to get a shot in that bullpen. Also, they have a guy who... Quite honestly, Arm, I've never heard of him before. Joel Payamps. Pay I've heard of the rest of them. Never, never heard, heard of Joel Payamps. But he did throw 50 innings for them last year and had a 3-4-0 ERA. That's why I'm like, why haven't I actually <laughs> heard of you? But they have, they him. have him. And he actually performed pretty well last year. So, weirdly enough, not a lot of names that you might know of. But when you just go through ERAs and you're just reading through the stats here... We have 242-ERA, 288-267-366-142-117-340. They have dudes. And Kansas City always just spins out some of these guys. I bet some of the dudes in their rotation right now will end up being in this rotation, or end up being in this bullpen come 2022. So, quite honestly, we could go sign Chafin, we could go sign one of these relievers, but they don't have to do much to the bullpen. I think they got enough guys. Yeah, and this is the interesting thing, because that was the one name, another name I was going to bring up. Angel Zerpa, who could be anything from a guy that sneaks into their rotation and actually ends up being a rotation piece for them, or a really nasty bullpen arm. Lefty, 6 foot, 220, funky, fastball that has life, nasty slider. I think the fastball slider plays in a bullpen right away. He gave him one quality start uh, in the big leagues last year and, and was pretty solid at times. Got hit around also. So I think he's more of a bullpen guy that could spot start for them. But Zerpa's another dude. The reason why they have so many bullpen guys, I think, is because they have so many fail, failed starters that are stuff over command guys that end up either you know being bullpen pieces. But they, they, they do a good job of identifying guys who can fit into the bullpen. And I'm expecting this bullpen to be good. Like you said, Barlow and Stamont are, are two guys that are going to be really solid for them. And you can count on to be dudes. And then they've got a lot of different prospects that I think could come up and help out. And I'm still a really big fan, as I mentioned earlier, with seeing what they're going to get from Jonathan Bolin, who I think could be a reliever or even a guy that they stretch out as a starter as well. So there's more than enough arms in that stable for them. I'm expecting that bullpen to be above average, to say the least. I agree, because even I mentioned Jake Brents. He was a guy who threw 64 innings last year and had a 366 ERA. But he struck out 76 guys. The guy has 
great stuff. It's just he had 37 yeah. walks. He walks everybody and their mother, and that's the problem. Also, another guy, Domingo Tapia, another guy with good stuff, 267 ERA last year, only in 33 innings. But again, 15 walks in those 33 innings. It's just this is a common occurrence. I mean, even Barlow and Stamont, like they have elevated walk totals. This team walks so many guys, and it's so hard to continue to battle back in games when you're giving up so many free passes. Like, if they just cut the walks in half, this is a 90-win team almost. <laughs> it's funny, because I, I know it's so simplifying, but it's like every, it's like they all got the same problem. I wonder what their duration of game is. I wonder how much longer their game times oh, are than everybody else. Uh, because they, At least they have one of the most beautiful stadiums yes, to sit at, exactly. because those games must go four hours. And on the offensive side, outside of Salvi, they're going to walk a lot too so so they're gonna be yeah. they're gonna be a team that could drag out some ball games and be uh rob manfred's worst nightmare but th- this is like you said the stuff is there and you can get away with bad or, or fringy command for your bullpen and we saw them do that i'm really excited to see what this bullpen will do i think they're gonna be strong there and if they can shorten the starts for some of these other guys in that rotation by having that stretched out bullpen like i'd like to go see them get a vet or two I think with how many guys there are on the market, the fact that you could go get a Joe Kelly, the fact that you could go get some of these vets that could help shorten the game for you, that's the key. That's what we saw the Royals do, as you mentioned, when they won the World Series. They obviously had a better starting a starting rotation at that time. But at the end of the day, if you can shorten those starts for those guys, take some of that pressure off of the rotation, then you only need five innings for the most part out of a lot of those guys, you're in much better shape. I'd like to see them try to build a little bit of like a Super Bowl pin by going to get a vet or two because they already have the two back-end guys, like you said. And they and they have a lot of righties. Brents is that only lefty in their bullpen. So I would I, we've given Andrew Chafin away to everybody. <laughs> Andrew Chafin would be perfect on the Royals. That veteran presence in the back end there, a fun guy, lefty, great slider. Just for talking about just like how well he pitches, Chafin would be a great addition. So let's sign Andrew Chafin to the Royals because I think we always bring up that we will be signing Andrew Chafin to the team and then we <laughs> never actually put him on because we either sign Brax Bogberger or Joe Kelly or Kenley Jansen. We never actually give anyone to Andrew Chafin. So let's actually give Andrew Chafin to the Royals because it makes a ton of sense. So we just played GM with the Kansas City Royals. Let's go through the team one more time. At catcher, you have Salvador Perez and MJ Melendez coming up. At first base, you have a combination of most likely Hunter Dozier and Carlos Santana. At second base, you have Whit Merrifield. And at shortstop, we're starting Nicky Lopez. And at third, you have Bobby Witt Jr. with Raul Mondesi, Aldoberto Mondesi, you know, playing all over wherever he can get ABs. Hopefully, he can just stay healthy. In right field, give me Kyle Isabel. In center field, we just traded for Ramon Laureano. And then in left field... Then is where you put Andrew Benatendi with Michael A. Taylor as your fourth outfielder. So then on your bench, you have Michael A. Taylor, Carlos Santana, you have Emmanuel Rivera, you have Cam Gallagher, you have Edward Oliveras, and who else am I forgetting? Did I already say Michael A. Taylor yes. is on your bench? Perfect. So the rotation. This is where, I, I mean, you could go any sort of direction. Who would be your five? <sighs> Because you have a lot of guys to choose from. You have Mike Miner, you have Brad Keller, you have Brady Singer, you have Chris Bubich, you have Carlos Hernandez, you have Jackson Coar, you have Daniel Lynch. So you have seven guys there. Yeah. Who's your five? It's funny because I don't like Brad Keller at all. <laughs> Me neither. I would almost <laughs> rather see some of these other guys get innings, but at the end of the day, Me too. Keller's still Easily. 26. I would... Coar was so bad at the big league level, but assuming Coar has continued to find that, that third pitch... 
I I would like to see Coar make some starts in AAA and then really. And then, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was like, we can't put Cole no, in No, 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 no. But he was just awful. I want to see him make some starts in AAA, and I think Keller would be the first guy to, to, to you know, either be traded or or make an adjustment for because you're stuck with Miner on that $10 million deal. And at the end of the day, even if he's a mid-fours guy uh, or a little bit higher, at least you know that he's going to go out there every day and give you five, six innings. And he's innings, a big yeah, leaguer that, it. you know, you need that right now because some of your other guys, you don't know if they're going to make it through three. <laughs> we saw that with Coar, yeah, We saw that with facts. Lynch. We saw that with Singer even at times. So I'm okay with Miner. Keller's the the first man out for me. Singer, I'm super excited about. Is you know probably their best pitcher. Bubich earned himself you know a spot. I think he was overall good enough, and Hernandez was really good. So for me, I think you're rolling with that five. But I'm so ready to get Keller out of there the second Lynch or Coar is showing that they're ready to go again. Uh, the only thing is, are you okay with three lefties in your rotation if you have Miner, Lynch, and Bubich? I'm okay with it because at the end of the day, you just need guys that can get outs. You need guys who can get yeah. outs. Yeah. yeah, lefty. We'll deal with that a little bit yeah. later. Let's see how these guys develop. We'll, do, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, too many lefties. Well, you know, we just need dudes who get outs. Yeah, yeah. Beggars can't be choosers, right? <laughs> no, they cannot. So, but that's that's our that's our starting rotation. So, who would you have opening day? Brady Singer opening yeah. day or Mike Miner? Yeah, you 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 can't. It's against the law to start Mike Miner on opening day. I think. We might have to fade that one if they're facing anybody. <laughs> yeah. Especially a team that hits lefties. Could you imagine? No, no. Baseball's finally what? back. You go to the ballpark with your family, and it's just Mike Miners on the mound for, for your team. Like, you can't do that to fans. Brady Singer, at least you're, you're juiced up. It's the future. He's he's fun. He's exciting. Yeah. He throws nasty sliders. You're watching Mike Miner make 91, try to work. I'm, I'm not doing that. It would be depressing if opening day, MJ Melendez, Nick Prado, and Bobby Wood Jr. are all in the lineup and you're so excited, but you got 35-year-old Mike Miner on the pump. <laughs> he gives up six, and the, all those guys hit home runs, you still lose. You're like, what? Why do we have him? You'd know that. That that would be a foreshadow for the whole season, I think. And we also put Andrew Chafin in the back end of this bullpen to join Scott Barlow, Josh Demont, Domingo Tapia, Jake Brents, and the gang back there. Arm, I think this is a solid team. If you add Loriano and if you get valuable contributions from those rookies on offense and we at least get serviceable outings from the starting pitching, this is an 80-win team and above. And 2023 will be very exciting. I think we played it right. You know, I, obviously I'm not going to wrap up the episode and be like, that was all wrong. We just we were messing around the whole time. But I really think this is the best <laughs> way to play it because you make them a little bit better now. Loriano is under control for several years. And you're allowing the young guys to get reps. You could still sneak into a wild card consideration, which I think is what you're looking for. And if that happens, go be more aggressive then, right? You can go be aggressive then, and you'll still have all of your pieces. And you can be. You'll still have all of your pieces. So I think that's the best way to tackle it. And uh, hopefully they will be sneaky and good, and we'll see them be aggressive uh, at some point in the middle of the summer. They also have ammo. They, they have, have ammo, ammo too. Mm-hmm. So they have they have a ready big league roster with ammo. We talked about Asa Lacy. We talked about a couple prospects that they have that are just don't have a position right now because they're backed up by other really good prospects. So you could trade Nikki Lopez. You could trade some of those first base prospects. You could possibly trade catching prospects. You could trade pitching prospects. They have so much to deal. So this is just a waking giant, especially for 2023. 2022 can't guarantee much. I think we'll see better than what we saw last year. But 2023, 2024, I think we're going to see the Royals as as one of these perennial teams if all these prospects end up working out. And I think of the prospect, you know, 
clusters around because you know each team has their cluster of three four five guys this is one of the most stable locks to be really good out of any cluster in baseball what would you great core of prospects with and the fact that their arms have not panned out but there's so many of them like let's play the percentages right someone i didn't even mention alec marsh who could go to that bullpen he's disgusting struggles to stay healthy a little bit struggles with command some of the best swing and miss stuff in the minors, period. I've, I've had uh, people tell me, pundits tell me, that they like Alec Marsh as much as anybody, any arm in that whole system. So wow. that's a guy that could sneak in. He was shut down with some arm uh, discomfort. Ben Hernandez, one of the best changeups out there in the minor leagues, just has to find it with some of the other stuff as well. Like There's a lot of guys out there. That, you might as well, if, you, if you're not converting a lot of pitchers into successful pitchers, have 50 of them. And, and some of them will end up panning out, and yeah. that's what they're doing. And there's a lot of them. So you said they have the ammo, and uh, I, I think some of these guys have to translate percentage-wise. I mean, <laughs> they have to. So uh, bright days ahead, I, I'd say, for the Royals. Bright days ahead, and bright days ahead for us as well. I hope you all enjoy the Just Baseball show. But if you want to hear more about prospects, go check out the call-up the MLB prospect pod that arm hosts. And if you're more into fantasy baseball, more into gambling, I have another show. It's called not gambling advice. We're going over fantasy baseball and we're going over gambling stuff for the MLB 2022 season. We're talking about futures ranking fantasy stuff over there, but on the just baseball show, we're going to update you on college. We're going to update you on MLB. You guys know the whole nine by now. And also RM is wearing his just baseball sweatshirt. I'm wearing my just baseball shirt, both looking absolutely jacked in both of them. <laughs> And you can find that in the episode description. Yeah, uh, you know, we're looking good, sort of. You know, it's it's finally warm in New York City. We should go outside. Let's do it. Instead of just talking royals in a dark room. Let's go outside. (laughs) Let's go outside. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.